I'm interrupting my own podcast to talk to you about Anchor. Anchor is brought to you by Spotify and is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It will also help you distribute your podcast across popular podcast hosting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Best of all, you can make money from your podcast on Anchor with no minimum listenership. So for those of us just starting out, this is very helpful. And do you know how much it costs to have everything you need to make a podcast in one place? 100% free. Yep, you heard me right. You can do all of this and make money for free. So if you have been thinking about starting your own podcast, now is your chance. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, I'm Yan. Hi, I'm Yvonne. Welcome to Lost and Refound Podcast. We're a podcast discussing our personal journeys as modern Asian women and sharing inspiring stories from within our community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lost and Refound Podcast. I'm your host, Yan, and we have your other host, Yvonne. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Yan. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm super excited for this Sunday. And we're recording for the first time ever since we started this podcast. We're recording in person. <laughs> this is crazy. No yeah. Wi-Fi issues. No Wi-Fi issues. So it'll be really clear and hopefully um, we have really good audio quality. Yes, um, we are using a new setup today. So hopefully everything gets recorded clearly. Um, I have high, high hopes. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so... Um, thanks everybody for for listening. This is a continuation of our previous episode, which was with my mother as well. Um, in the first episode, she talked about her journey growing up in China during the Cultural Revolution. If you have not checked out that episode, I will highly recommend listening to that first because this is a continuation to that story. So it might seem a little disjointed if you don't listen to the first part. So stop. Go back, listen, then come back and check out this episode. For those of you that have listened to the first episode, I'd like to welcome my mom, Jenny Lee, back on the podcast again. Hi, mom. Hi. Thank you so much for having me again. It's very important that we're doing this, that I'm really appreciative, and uh, this is a good opportunity. And so I'm happy that I'm here. I'm happy that uh, you initiated this. And I'm a very excited that actually we started out by hugging each other. <laughs> yes, yes, that is something that feels strange now almost. I miss hugging people, but now when I hug people, I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> it is, really. <laughs> um, so anyway, Mom, so last time we left off the episode with you, you know, getting ready to come move to America. Um, so if you don't mind, I would love to hear, you know, your thought process and everything you went through to come here because so many people think it's so easy to immigrate from, from a different country to America. And I will always say, you know, it's very, it's a very difficult journey to, to uproot your entire life, to go to a country where you don't know anybody, you don't speak the language, you barely have any money to start over again, essentially. Like, I don't feel like any sane person want to do that if there isn't a circumstance that pushed them to do that. Um, unless you're a nomad, then that's your lifestyle. But for most people, you know, it's a difficult journey to go to, to start your life in a whole different country. So mom, I would love to hear your experience. All you said was very true that I didn't have the money, I didn't have friends, I didn't have a family, and didn't have anything. Most importantly, I didn't speak English. And it was very, very difficult. And uh, it was a really in a very different era. Going abroad, especially going to the United States, was such a commonly referred as a golden opportunity or an opportunity of uh, your lifetime. And I wasn't that young. I was 33. And the good thing is that we didn't have internet then you had uh, limited the resource for research. So I didn't really know what would be ahead of me. And uh, if I had known, <laughs> probably I would have been scared. <laughs> I was just 
to say, it's not a good thing or a bad thing yeah. because you're less prepared. <laughs> but I can see if you're too prepared, you're like, I, I'm not ready for this. I know, but it, to me, at that time, my notion was that uh, the Cultural Revolution really prepared me for a lot of uh, um, hardships and uh, a lot of unexpected turns. And when Cultural Revolution just started, uh, literally I felt overnight my life was uh, upside down and from heaven to hell. And I went through that. And also I was sent down to the countryside, really witnessed and experienced what poverty was. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what could be worse than that? And so with that notion, and also it was uh, such a difficult, difficult opportunity to get. Literally, in front of U.S. consulate in, uh, in Shanghai, hundreds, if not thousands of people standing in, in line to get the interview. And every day, there were only so few of them could get through. And my good friend actually got up at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning to stand in line for me mm. so that I could have a good sleep to look good, energetic, mm. and <laughs> to deal with the interview. Yeah. Wow, that's a good friend. And uh, I still remember she got number five, and then she said, uh, number five from now on is your lucky number. <laughs> <laughs> because I got the visa. And yeah, that was uh, really very, very lucky. And in a way, that was because of the family background. Mm. The week before, in Nanjing, my father entertained them to celebrate the joint project, Nanjing University with Johns Hopkins University to start the very first China-US uh, Culture Exchange Center. Mm -hmm. And so when, when I was presenting my uh, residence register book mm -hmm. and they saw my father's name, immediately, Welcome to the United States. I was stunned. I was, what are you saying? <laughs> Isn't it interesting how on the political agenda, someone that could be seen as an enemy will later on be the opportunity that you need to move here. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really crazy how, you know, my grandpa was thought as, you know, was punished and was jailed and was, you know, pushed out by society for for his career, right? For him being a professor, and and then later on, that was able to give you the opportunity you needed. Um, it's just it's always crazy to me when I look at history and how everything comes full circle. Yeah, he was the president of Nanjing University. He was well known in China, being an educator and philosopher and many many titles. And the time I came to the United States, that was uh, the end of nineteen eighty six. That was 10 years after the, the end of the uh, Cultural Revolution. And the political atmosphere was very, very different then. And after Deng Xiaoping started an open door policy in the late 70s, and things were really loosened up. And people at that time particularly look up to the United States. Mm -hmm. And so going to America was dream of millions. I felt so lucky. At the same time, once I got visa, I was completely lost. What do I do now? I don't have any money to pay for my first tuition. <laughs> so what are the qualifications to be able to be approved for to come to the United States? There was not really set qualifications. Was it the backdoor policy? They wanted to, um, you can't say that either. The immigration policy basically 
wants to prevent people from intentionally immigrating to the United States without being able to support themselves. Mm. And every year there were there's quota for every country. Mm-hmm. And uh, demand was uh, so much larger than supply. Mm-hmm. Completely, the ratio was just uh, really, <laughs> you, can't, you can't even think. And so you have to think that you're lucky to get it. It's like you, you, you hit the lottery. Mm-hmm. So I was really worried and then started thinking, what do I do? And so I decided to come late. And I came here to start from English as second language learning program to begin with. So it doesn't really matter that much. But I I was thinking that I need some time to uh, earn money to pay for my first uh, semester tuition to really get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. So I came to the States in the end of uh, October. It was like uh, in the middle of a semester, obviously. I was late and at the International Airport, San Francisco, immigration office has their office there. And of course, my situation just was not normal. And I prepared for that by asking a colleague who spent two years in Australia and to write up uh, my story in English. I completely memorized it. (laughs) Not sure if my English pronunciation was so off or his English wasn't that good, whatever reason that was. And the immigration officer and myself, we were just both were talking and none of us (laughs) hearing anything (laughs) or I didn't understand anything. And at some point, I, I did hear he was pressing me saying, yes or no. I just bit my lips. I said, I don't even know the question. How can I say yes or no? <laughs> what in the world I'm getting myself into it by choosing one, one way or another. So finally, out of desperation, he uh, made an announcement in the airport and broadcasting and asking for someone who could translate for us. Here came uh, uh, Taiwan um, airline stewards, mm-hmm. and uh, she 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 really helped. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I was giving a temporary entrance mm-hmm. to come and that later and catch up with the paperwork, which took me more than two years, of, um, almost three years to get my status straight. And it was a nightmare. But in any case, I started just doing all the whatever that I could make money and all the cash and to save every penny and to pay for my first tuition, which I did it. Mm-hmm. And I still remember the first thing was January, your birthday. And I wanted to get your birthday card and went to the Hallmark and the selection was just wonderful. And I had never seen so many beautiful, beautiful cards. And finally I picked the one that was a 399 mm-hmm. plus tax. It was almost uh, one hour of my, my labor work. So I was really picked up dropped down, picked up, dropped down, finally walked out empty-handed and made my own card and using Macy's advertisement with a lot of colors. They had this sale of bathroom towels Mm -hmm. with the different colors and a lot of colors, a lot of materials. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how I started. So, I mean, you travel a lot nowadays before the pandemic. You were traveling a lot. So every time you went through SFO, did that trigger any memories for you? Sometimes. Now I really laugh about it and uh, joke about it. It's not such a sad memory. Mm -hmm. And actually, I never viewed that as a sad memory. It's Mm -hmm. part of my adventure. Mm -hmm. And 
it's just all unexpected. And but I always have this notion: as long as you keep marching on, and you can, human resilience is something that cannot be overstretched.、Mm-hmm. Especially my generation, I think、uh, we were almost like tested.、Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many how many times I fell, and、uh, just got up. And there's no time to cry, and I cried a lot of times, but it just didn't give you the luxury to keep crying. Just quickly think about what what you do next. How do you orient yourself?、Right. And the goals were just very clear. And first, find a way to pay for your tuition, your education. At the times, I had average five jobs at the same time. Full time studying, and just need to get good grades. I got the full、um, scholarship at the end. Keep your work going, your income to support yourself. I lived、uh, with a family、mm-hmm. in order to save、uh, the rent,、mm-hmm. and also get a small amount of income. And、uh, after about a year and a half, I started renting in the basement. And had only a twin size bed there, and picked up <laughs> abandoned sofa on the street, and bought a TV, and made the TV box kind of a stand to put the TV on, covered by extra sheet, and that worked. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doing all my homework in my bed, and that's how I. Started, and no complaints because I was happy. Every step I was moving forward、mm. and getting more and more independence, fulfilling my goals, and one after another. And eventually got job and started building my career. And at this time, did you have friends as well that were here in America and in California in the Bay Area? When I came here, the only one that I had which helped me a great deal was actually an acquaintance that I got to know during my research work when I was working in Shanghai as an engineer,、mm-hmm. and he had come to the States earlier than me.、Mm-hmm. And we kept、uh, correspondence, and he was nice enough to come to the airport to pick me up with very old pinto.、That's、oh my god! Your memory is incredible. <laughs> Whoa! And、uh, pinto in years. Right after we loaded my luggage into his car, it stopped and refused to work. <laughs> Took a oh god, took a quite a maneuver, and we we finally got on the road. The very first stop we took was the restaurant that he was working at to introduce me to his boss.、Mm. And here is someone I literally remember what he said. Here is someone 高头大马 meaning that tall. And strong like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> That's what every woman wants to hear. What he <laughs> so this is someone that I can't work because <laughs> I couldn't speak English. I couldn't be a waitress, and I could only be a bus girl. It's a Western restaurant and serving breakfast and、uh, lunch, and、uh, we can't. Uh, brunch, very very popular,、mm. and those plates were so heavy because it had to be very durable, right?、Yeah. I learned to have、uh, four stacks on my arm. Yeah, and one day the kitchen floor was、um, slippery, greasy, and one day I had that. I walked very fast. I worked very hard, and. In the kitchen, I slipped. Oh my God! It was the the, the noise really <laughs> shook, 
shocked that the whole dining room, everybody was like, is everything okay? I was so embarrassed. I didn't think about my, myself falling, actually. Those china pieces yeah. got into my skin, I had the blood. And the first thing was, oh, got up and sh show up in the dining room and uh, everything was fine. <laughs> the first thought in my mind, actually, right after that, showing in the dining room and saying, I'm fine. I went to the bathroom, I cried. And uh, I said to myself, no way, this is not my life. I won't end up in restaurant. That's resilience. Yeah. And actually on the drive over, Yvonne and we're talking about how we can't imagine like what our parents been through. We don't know if we can live through what our parents went through. And the other day, Sable and I were also talking about this. And we're saying like, which generation is really the hardest generation, right? We hear stories from your generation are like, I can never imagine living through this way. And I hear like the elderly now telling me, I can never live through the social media era where everything's documented, where everything is shared publicly. Mm -hmm. And we're like, yeah, that's true. Like every generation, like you said, it's human resilience. We don't know what's going to happen. Everything is a brand new experience. Um, so you kind of just have to keep calm and carry on, right? Keep moving and not get so stressed where you stop. That's why I think what you're doing is so important even though that my experience is very different from what you are experiencing. And uh, my challenges were very different from yours and uh, your children's. But the importance is that a human resilience and the belief, and the belief in yourself, and you can do it. Whatever that is so difficult, that is so foreign and that's so unexpected as long as you have that notion that we can do it we can find a way to succeed you can mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, throughout the history the human beings were put in very difficult situations as if the whole world is collapsing mm -hmm. which is a lot of times people are feeling and thinking now, mm -hmm. including myself. Mm -hmm. yeah, but in the history, human beings survived and we will, as long as we all have that notion, we all work together yeah. Yeah. instead of against each other. Right. That's the biggest thing, working together. Yes, because yeah. even in your story, right, you were alone for a large part of it, but in the big issues, your friends here and your friend there, they were a huge part of it. Oh, I got so, so much help from all sorts of people. And I made friends along the way, and some have become <laughs> lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And I met a lot of people that I hadn't, well, didn't know them at all, but just the willingness to help. And for one thing, when I first entered United States, and I wanted to start saving money to pay for my next semester tuition, which was only about a couple of months away. So it was very urgent. The first thing I did was to get the Chinese newspaper mm -hmm. and look through the hirings. And all I could do was to work in the private homes that are uh, in the Chinese families. So I got a job to live in and taking care of uh, two kids. And that family was so nice and so understanding because the family was from Taiwan. Because they had been before me and they went through similar experience as well. Mm -hmm. So they completely understood what I was going through. And knowing that I couldn't speak English and their home is too far from my school, and I wouldn't be able to continue working for them once my school started. And they put an advertisement on San Francisco Chronicle newspaper to find me a job, living job, close to the school. I didn't even know. By the time I left their home, they gave me a big red envelope, wish me luck with $100 extra. 
And at that time, it was just so, it's just so touching. Yeah, and a hundred bucks for you, that's like... It's a lot. Yeah, because... I made $5 an hour. Yeah, and I like to point out, you were on a student visa, so that means you couldn't get like a job at a store, and right. everything has to be in right. or under the table. And, and the yeah. cash. And which is a very low pain. Don't, don't advertise it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and also, that job I got was in Tiburon and with an American family and well-to-do and doctor and the Chinese family. The husband drove me all the way from Palo Alto to wow. Tiburon to get interviewed. Mm -hmm. During the interview, I couldn't understand anything. Basically, he was doing the interview for me. And he said to me that it's important to have uh, two things when you first come to the United States, to have a mouth, to have a legs. And with these two, you can start to be independent. The legs means the car, mm -hmm. learn to drive. That's what they did. And when I was living in their home, every evening, the husband came back home, the wife worked in the post office, mm -hmm. night shift. Mm -hmm. So during the day she was sleeping, they were completely mm -hmm. switched. And so in the evening, when the husband came home, he would have put the two kids in the car. Okay, let's get on the road and you drive. Wow. That's how they helped me learn driving and get through the driving test and got my driver license. And then they said that uh, you should define your next live-in in the English-only environment to force yourself. And it is not that we are so cruel to, to push you into something that you don't feel comfortable, but that's the only way you learn faster. Mm. It was so difficult, really so difficult. Literally, I was like threw in the, in the ocean. And uh, the good thing is that, that the family was also very, very helpful and uh, generous. And two kids, two girls were just uh, trying to teach me English. And they also provide me with a car. So I had a partial independence. I had a car and uh, I still worked uh, in the restaurant in the weekend. I drove myself mm -hmm. and I drove myself by memorizing every landmarks. Mm -hmm. And See, you pass on to me. I yeah. still don't know street names. You come to my house, I say you make a left at the McDonald's. I don't know the street name. <laughs> <laughs> and once I took a wrong exit, I was completely lost. Oh. You guys, this is before Google Maps. This before is you, GPS. GPS. No, nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And <laughs> the communication with the family was just so difficult. Mm -hmm. And well, that's how I started. And the one thing was also because I was a full grown adult. And you have your dignity, mm -hmm. you have your pride. All of a sudden, you feel like an idiot and because you don't know anything. Right. You don't know what people are talking and you couldn't say anything. It was very, um, in the way, kind of humiliating. Mm -hmm. And that turned to be a very strong motivation for me too, to try to turn around as quickly as possible. And I obviously, just made a ridiculous mistakes in, in communicating with the people. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, what can you do? Laugh about it and move on. Mm -hmm. And I just kept telling myself, lose face now, but uh, gain bigger face later. <laughs> that, is, that is a part of the learning language process. Yeah. I remember, I think one time, I remember this very clearly when I was first, when you got me Beauty and Beast, I watched so many times. I didn't, I was learning English. I didn't really know what they're talking about. And I was, I was like, my mom's crazy. And you're like, do you know what that means? No. 
I just heard crazy. They were saying Bell's father is crazy. <laughs> But you make those mistakes, and that's how you learn, right? Yeah. That, that's always stuck with me. Don't say crazy about people. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of things. Yeah. It's a lot of、uh, funny things. And once in the cafeteria, somebody saw me and said, "Hi there." I just look around. Where? <laughs> Didn't you realize who was talking to me? <laughs> you know, who's there? <laughs> oh, things like that. It was just too, too many. How long were you at this、um, this family? I think about a、uh, year. Yeah, I wish I still kept in touch with them. Yeah. What would you say was the biggest cultural shock when you first came here? It's very interesting you ask this, and、uh, <laughs> later in my career in Silicon Valley, I was sent back to China and working there. In fact, I felt more reverse the cultural shock、hmm. than in what、uh, the cultural shock, quote unquote, I was supposed to feel when I came here. I don't know why. And, Because、uh, China changed Shanghai, so you changed so quickly. Yeah, I get a cultural shock every time I go back to Shanghai because I don't recognize the city. Yeah, I was、uh, learning about the culture here,、mm-hmm. probably also because、uh, I loved reading Western novels、mm-hmm. when I was young,、mm-hmm. and、uh, I didn't feel that the culture was so foreign. And I didn't feel uncomfortable. The first letters I sent home, I remember I wrote things like、uh, on the appearance, because in Shanghai it was so dusty, and you hardly saw green trees on the street. It's all the thick layer of dust turned the green to gray. From the pollution. Yeah. Wow. And、uh, so here, my impression on surface was,、uh, well, what's supposed to be red, they're red; what's supposed to be green, they're green. Very pleasing. And、uh, then I wrote, people are extremely nice. To the extent that was that's probably a little shocking.、Mm-hmm. And on the street, you have eye contact, and they would say. Hi, how are you? I was in the beginning. I said, "Do I know you?" Oh, sorry. We must have somewhere probably where you you one of our customers in the restaurant that we met. <laughs> Then quickly I realized what、well, that was the culture, and so I wrote about it. It's very nice. And、uh, decades later, when I was sent back, and、uh, in the morning I was jogging on the street. By then, I was so used to this. I had eye contact with the local people, and、uh, I just smiled, said、uh, 早上好 good morning. I encountered just who are you? <laughs> That kind of <laughs> reaction. Said,、so, oh, okay, this is never mind. It's different. <laughs> you know what's really funny about that is, I mean, obviously, I grew up most of my life here now, right? And then when I went back to Shanghai. I had the same habit. I would smile at people and say hi, and they would look at me like, "This person's crazy. Why is she talking to me?" But when I went with, with Sable, Sable would say hi to every person. He doesn't even speak Chinese that well, but he would just speak his broken Chinese like "Zhao Shang Hao," and they always say back to him, and they always smile at him. When we're in Shanghai, every morning he will get up and he goes to the street vendor to buy bao for breakfast, and they like all knew him by the end of the week, and I was just like. What is it? There's something with Sable where people personality want to speak to him. When I do it, they look at me like, "Why are you talking to me?" <laughs> And also, I think there is a gender thing. Oh,、mm. when you are a woman, that's true. A girl, and you smile to, especially to a male. I see. That is true. And、uh, it's viewed differently. Yeah, I take that for granted. Yeah,、I、grew up here、right. most、mm-hmm. of my life. That right, I take that for granted. Right,、yeah. yeah, 
No wonder so. all of their wives are glaring at me. <laughs> Why are you trying to talk to my husband? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like now, since everyone has has all our phones, everyone's always distracted. I don't think I could make eye contact with someone on the street even if I tried. Now the, yeah, now the cultures change even more where I feel like people aren't as nice as they used to be. Especially people, I remember San Francisco, people used to be really nice. And now, I guess I'm afraid to go to San Francisco. It is yeah. very true. And especially the, the pandemic, number one, and get people so isolated. True. And the people spend even more time on the phone, on the uh, Online, yeah. uh, uh, computer, yeah. and uh, and also with uh, the hatred, and uh, mm. you just have to be extra alerted, and uh, it just creates those boundaries. It's very unhealthy, and I hope really it start changing soon. Mm. We'll see. Yeah. yeah, I hope so too, especially. When I hear stories like yours, and I know that they're not isolated, right? I know my family has also similar stories too, and I, we have friends with similar stories. And it's just in this day and age at this time that maybe we're not we're not hearing those in our mind. We're not remembering that those were good memories for you, and those are amazing amazing memories and people that are still in your life today. I think it's important also to pass on those stories. It's very like, important. I knew about that you babysat for a white family. I didn't know about the Taiwanese family. You know, and that's such that's such an important story to share that, we, you know, we have, for those of us that have gone through the experience, we have some insights that other families might not. So we really should help you know, new immigrants come in and help them get them acclimated. Absolutely. To the Absolutely. Because it's like fish out of water for them when they arrive here. I'm so glad, yeah, you're pointing that out. Yes, it's a very, very important. Are there like programs that help people um, immigrate to the U.S. now, or? Well, my cousin Lily's been trying to immigrate here for, I feel like, five years. She's been working with an immigration lawyer. Now, you need to, if you want to immigrate here, you need to have money, first of all. So they're required to invest $500,000 in a U.S. company. So that's part of the requirements. So they did that. You have to work constantly with an immigration lawyer. That's additional money you have to pay. That's true. And it's been five years. You know, I think she, she finally got her temporary green card. Um, they mailed it to my house. Um, so now she's deciding, well, now she's kind of like, do I want to go to America now with the situation we're in? You know, with, you know, I feel like this pandemic really exposed the weakness in America. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's very scary. And I get scared too. I don't have real good faith telling her to, to send her kids here to school knowing all the mass shootings are happening in school because I know sending my kids to school, I get nervous anytime they're not in my sight. Not because, I mean, I, I'm everybody who listens to our podcast, I know I'm really into true crime, so that obviously feeds into my psyche, but that's not even what I'm worried about. I'm not. I'm less worried about kidnapping, I'm more worried about school shootings. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not an issue in China, you know, so I am really worried that she's come here, that's gonna blow her mind. So I'm very honest with her when we, communicate through WeChat, I tell her what's going on in the United States so she knows mm-hmm. that she's fully prepared and she knows why she's moving here. And I had told her at one point, I was like, I think maybe you're looking to Canada. But she's like, at this point, I already put $500,000 into a company. There's no backtracking at that point, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not easier. It's a long process. And that's why anytime I hear somebody say, immigrating to America is so easy. And I say, you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, it's not easy to immigrate here legally. It's certainly not easy to immigrate here illegally. If you see how many people die in the process, how many women get raped, how many children get, you know, preyed upon because you're in a helpless situation. And again, I always re- reiterate, you don't do this unless your family's life in jeopardy, not even necessarily your own life. Right. You know, like I probably wouldn't do this for me, but if United States got to a certain point where I fear my children's life every single day and I have no legal way of getting them out. I'm going to find an illegal way to get them out of here. That's human nature. You can't blame anybody trying to do that. So I think we all can remember everybody has their story and that's why I wanted my mom to share her story because people look at my mom now, look at all that she has. She travels the world, you know, she's living an abandoned life, but she didn't get here because it was easy, you know? And I think one of the stories you didn't tell that stay with me a long, long time is why you don't ride a bicycle anymore 
you do you want to share that story <laughs> oh yeah well i came from a bicycle kingdom and rode bicycle every day everywhere in china and now and i was uh, living with uh, that american family in tiburon and it's very nice of them actually they uh, got the, the older daughter a brand new bike for her birthday so she had uh, the old bike which was a very nice one and they said would you like to have it so oh i was more than happy so in the afternoon one afternoon and um, this uh, that was my day off and uh, i just rode bike and it was in may and beautiful day and i rushing downhill and it was so nice and uh, let the, the wind blow my hair and next thing i knew i was on the ground there was a pool of blood there and uh, had an accident and then i was kind of a semi out of a conscience <laughs> and it's, a voice seemed to come very far and say, are you okay i was just <laughs> do i need to take you to a hospital something like i heard the hospital i didn't even have insurance wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so i really struggled and i had a broken arm and i struggled to push the, the bike and walked back home and uh, the parents were not at home they were on um, vacation in uh, colorado the husband got me to his hospital and he was an x-ray physician so through him i got everything examined and treated for free and he later said to me that you know that i could lose my license because of you don't do this to me i said no i won't i'm sorry he said this is not a socialism country get your insurance i said yes i will <laughs> definitely <laughs> so i started getting my health insurance and that's another culture shock you know coming from asia where you don't the insurance was not a name a foreign concept yeah, a very foreign concept and i didn't even know how to and i didn't even know what that meant mm -hmm. and everything you had to really learn from the very beginning and another thing is uh, i didn't get my my status straight up for years and i didn't even know that i could hire a lawyer to do that and with my very broken english in dealing with the immigration office it was so extremely difficult but i didn't have that concept and let alone money yeah and correct me if i'm wrong it's not easy dealing with the immigration office they're oh, not the nicest people to deal with no i've been there many times and the day the uh, immigration office in san francisco opened in seven o'clock in the morning i don't know if they still follow that schedule there was always a long line before that mm. i usually uh, got up at five o'clock and drive myself to city around six ish and then stood in line to to be as early as possible and it's a very interesting phenomenon and i couldn't speak much of english so i i tried to prepare myself i spoke slowly and uh, which took time those immigration officers who are immigrants and Asians especially and uh, sometimes Chinese I met I would have felt so eager to get help always are you Chinese can you speak Chinese they would have deliberately ignored that insisting speaking english with me i don't think there was a requirement for them to speak english it just the, the attitude i felt like it was like in the military mm -hmm. and uh, the new soldiers were always uh, 
second-class citizen being bullied, even though the older, the more senior soldiers were in their positions, instead of uh, really um, feeling for them. Mm. And a lot of times, it turned this attitude into bullying, as if, uh, well, I've been there, it's your turn. It's ego. It's ego, it's power struggle. It's being unempowered, mm -hmm. and now they're like, I had the power, I'm gonna do that to you. So I was very frustrated. Mm -hmm. And because when I saw an Asian face from the accent, I could clearly tell that this person could speak Chinese. Yeah. And, but eventually, the real good help actually came from white people. I don't know how many times I visited the immigration office. I only encountered either Asians or white. Mm. There was never um, African-American. And uh, the, the white officers were the most helpful. I felt it was such an interesting phenomenon. But in any case, we were talking about a cultural shock. Maybe that was... I mean, that, that has a, to be a cultural shock. Yeah. Where you know, the people who you consider your people yeah. won't help you. Right. Whereas foreigners are, are helping you. Mm -hmm. So that has to be a cultural shock. Mm -hmm. Especially, I feel like, for those of us who come from Asia or like... Um, South America, where everybody kind of looks like you, you know, it's not like a culture melting pot like the United States is. So you're used to always seeing familiar faces that help you are people that look like you. And then you come here, and you, so you feel find comfort in people that look like you. And then to get rejected or to feel rejected by those, that's like the worst feeling. To, to feel like, you know, we should connect on some level, but you forcefully reject me because you won't have more power. For some reason, it makes your ego feel, good, feel better. Right. And even with that, I feel it's very regretful that uh, we're not really moving forward in terms of uh, melting pot in comparison to where I was when I first came here. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you look around, the United States is probably the strongest example of uh, cultural melting pot. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, we came here to look for American dream because we thought it's all possible regardless, our, regardless of our skin color. Mm -hmm. And now we even, in many, many cases, on many levels, we even fear our lives mm -hmm. because of who we are, because of our skin color. Mm -hmm. And this has just got to be stopped and uh, we need to turn that around. That's, yeah, I will argue that's critically important. America is built on different cultures coming together, different ideas, yes. just, you know, that's what made U.S. the leader of the world because so many different ideas from so many different cultures and backgrounds came together and were able to work together and formulate something better. But yeah, now, the richness yes, of it, yeah. but the with resource. The introduction, I feel like with social media and this idea of everybody can share the ideas and, and everyone's idea is correct in their own heads, that's causing this divide and it's making America weaker because of it because we're no longer working together you yeah. know people that are friends now are arguing you know, and that's that's a huge issue and this is what I'm afraid for the future of this country is I have a lot of hope for this country but that's not gonna work unless we start talking to each other mm. unless we start helping each other regardless of what you look like and then we can always have uh, differences we will, yeah, and we, we can always have, have yeah. uh, uh, sharply different uh, opinions and we can even argue to death about it. But I can never forget that we share a lot more yeah. mm -hmm. than what we're different. And always keep that in mind yeah. and always try to bring that up and whatever we're arguing about and so that we don't forget it. And I feel and like 
common commonality is what will keep us together, but the differences is what will make us stronger. If we can work together, because those differences, I mean, your your society is not going to progress faster if we all agree on the exact same thing. No, you know, it's only that's what the China's problem yeah, is. <laughs> it's only these differences that make you so. Oh wait, is this how this should be run, or can we do something better? Because look at what this country is doing. Let's mm-hmm. learn from there. You know,、mm-hmm. this this like called nationalistic mentality that takes away from let's learn from other countries. Let's learn from other countries that did. That were able to write this pandemic really quickly. Yeah. Now instead of learning from them, we trash them or we say it's lies, which is like then how do we move forward? <laughs> That's right. So this question is not related to your experience moving here, but I've always been curious because I feel this is something Sable and I always chat about that your generation has seen through so many technology changes. From when you're little, you know, like TVs were like black, black and white, and you know, it's also not as accessible. If we were lucky to have a black and white TV,、yeah. we were、yeah. not born with it until my teenager. Yeah. And yeah. I had the、uh, first TV. And then now there's like everybody has their own little computers on their phones. Like, what is that experience for you to have seen all of this? I actually、um, uh, talk about this、uh, with Angelo. And with other people, my generation too. I feel lucky that in my generation, I think the life experience is the richest in terms of、uh, all sorts of changes,、mm. and which to me, in different levels, I feel that it gives me real, very special, unique way of、uh, feeling life. Appreciating the life, it's like a, if you you eat something bitter, and then the next thing, even though it's not that sweet, all of a sudden, like, oh my god, this is super sweet, only because you tasted the bitterness,、mm-hmm. and uh, um, the depth of it, and a, a little thing would make me really excited and feel so happy, and、uh, because I have the. Past, and、uh, I know what life could be,、mm. and I'm so lucky. And、uh, technology is another thing that is just fascinating. One is one thing is fascinating. The other thing is,、uh, I started growing this fear that I'm going to be outdated. <laughs> <laughs> We all have that fear. <laughs> and the、uh, third thing is the worry.、Mm. What that means to Our society, new generation, the future of our world, and、uh, the social media. Look what the, it has、uh, got us into, and、uh, what it affected、uh, every part of our lives,、mm-hmm. and including the democracy directly,、mm-hmm. and election, everything. Yeah, we've got to. The human beings got to find a way to protect the true democracy, and somebody, that body, being an organization or public or private or government or whatever, we need to find a way、mm-hmm. to、There、regulate. Maybe some regulations within social media. I agree with that. Nobody、um, wants to take responsibilities.、Yeah. And then we have a First Amendment. It's untouchable. And, I mean,、uh, I, I, I'm all for freedom of speech. You can say whatever you want, but fact check needs to be part of the regulation. You can't be spreading lies and calling it facts.、Yes. That's the biggest problem because we all know children's minds are so easily molded. You know, if they get the wrong on the wrong wrong channel and they get brainwashed, it's really hard to turn that back. You know, so there needs to be some regulations on on what. I mean, again. I'm, you can pull, you can say whatever you want on on Facebook or on social media. I I don't have a problem with that. I just have a problem if you are toting whatever your opinion is as truth without any kind of fact check. I think that needs to be addressed. So how、really、to establish、quickly. the the institution that does instant fact check?、Mm. And、uh, it's. I mean, easy, goes, easy、yeah. say that. Exactly. Because it goes all the way up to corruption. You know, all the leaders are. Corrupt. Whatever you think of Mark Zuckerberg is, like, 
do I have faith in him? No, not really. And and also lies and uh, everybody says the other person or people are liars. And if you remember Obama's first 100 days State of Union, for the first time in our history, somebody, a congressman, the Republican congressman publicly accused him a liar based on nothing. Hmm. But from his point of view, well, I, I speak the truth. I think he's a liar. Right. And that's why I think that as much as like we can do, raids the next generation as much as we can with these stories and with the lessons that we've learned so that if education is not helping them, right? If our schools and our institution aren't helping people, that we can at least help each other and grow as a community because it's never too late to learn and it's never too late to have <laughs> all these principles that never were... Never too late. Yes. And also, um, I've seen in my lifetime in this country, more people are involved in politics, mm -hmm. in election and feeling the importance of it. That's There's always Trump's done right. He's really mobilized the younger generation to come and say, like, this is not how I want this country to be run. This is not how I want to live my life. I'm going to get involved. So if anything, he's definitely mobilized a whole generation of people. <laughs> yeah, he also mobilized the other, his base. Yeah. And uh, so now everything is on more surfaced mm -hmm. and used to be it was under, hidden, yeah. Yeah, under yeah. wave. That's and the thing when people are like saying, oh, race is so much worse. It's not worse. It's, they, are always, they were always racist. They were not being empowered. At the very least, now we know. Right. You know because for so many years, the, the media was saying racism is over, especially when Obama was elected. You know, black man's president, so racism is not a thing, blah, 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 blah. Actually, it intensified it. Exactly, right? You can see it's a thing. It's just like, it's not just your peers are racist now. It's the leaders you can clearly see who is racist, who is not. So I, for me, I know it's really ugly, but I'd much rather see the truth than have like a pretty veil over it mm -hmm. and, not, and not know that there's this hidden danger right next to me. Well, uh, there's a danger that, uh, yes, things that now are much less hidden on the other hand, it could easily go over and uh, start the civil war. So that is something that, uh, right, we, we also have to be very vigilant. And that's why I feel like every immigrant, um, every minority has a backup. <laughs> because we're like, been there, seen that. Another reason why we're doing these episodes is history needs to be really be emphasized in education and i definitely did not i did not enjoy history class when i was younger you know when you're young all you care about is modern stuff you don't want to talk about history but now i'm realizing yes history does repeat itself repeat itself all the time every few years it goes through the cycle again mm -hmm. so unless we really emphasize on history not just history from the viewer's point of view but true world history and really understand what's a what's affecting these changes, why we keep going in circles, repeating these, then we can finally get out of this cycle. Right. But until we do that, if we keep forgetting what's going, what happened, just like now people are forgetting about the Holocaust, which is crazy, right? Now that the last survivors are dying off, yeah. more deniers are coming out saying, this it's never happened. How do you just ignore this huge event that killed millions of people? Same thing with Cultural Revolution, not talked about because Chinese propaganda, they don't want people to know. But these things need to be talked about because it's so important because we will make those same mistakes again if we don't talk about that. I can agree with you more on that and I really advocate for, for people, especially young people, to read history books and uh, really read systematically history books and you can rely on the movies and media to, to learn history, true, real history. And which is so important. That's where you, you draw the depth of your understanding mm -hmm. and you get the more prepared. And also read history books from different countries, right? This is right. where I think when we, we interview one of our favorite authors, Lori Forrest, she wrote a series of young adult books. And in one of the books, the girl is trying to learn about different history. The professor, history professor said, you have to read it from every different culture because the winner will write a history a different way. So if right. you really want to know what happened, you have to read about, you know, 
the Holocaust from Germany's point of view, from America's point of view, from you know whatever country, all the different countries that are involved from their point of view, mm-hmm. then you can sort of get somewhat of a truth. Because otherwise, the winner will always say, you know, if Hitler won, he'd be the hero right now. Mm-hmm. It should be completely different. Mm-hmm. So read it from different point of views, not just from America's point of view or Chinese point of view. Right. right. And also coupled with the research, your own research. Yes. If you read too history books mm-hmm. talking about the same events and with the uh, contradicting views views and uh, do your own research and find out more and take advantage of a Google search. You're <laughs> so lucky. And yeah. that's something that uh, the, the, the modern technology really brings that's so positive that uh, research is becoming it's just fingertips you yeah. just you can everybody can do a very thorough research yeah yeah absolutely i definitely i still think that internet and social media i still think they're both very positive things i think humans will always find a way to turn positive thing and use it for selfish reasons or use it for evil reasons but look at how much internet has done for for our world you know mm-hmm. connecting the world and how That's much social media has done for connecting people too but of course, like we have to also fix the bad side. But all in all, I think they're they're great. Yeah. And and I am, I still do feel positive for the future. What are you looking forward to in the next 10, 20 years? Well, number one, climate. I I mm-hmm. really hope to see more joint efforts globally, and it's a really a dying issue. And I hope that uh, people really get to the point and see that uh, we are wasting time Mm -hmm. by fighting within among each other Mm -hmm. while we are facing common crisis Mm -hmm. and that's the the, the future of our children and grandchildren. It's related and really hope to see that uh, the country is less divided and more united mm-hmm. and I think we are on a new page mm-hmm. and which gives me hope mm-hmm. and but on the other hand every day I can see how difficult the journey is. It's going to take, a, a, I mean the last four years has done a lot of damage. It's going to take much more than four years to fix the damage. That, I mean unfortunately that's, it takes longer to fix something. Than and also it's not something. four years. It's yeah, things hidden. Yeah, it's things just hidden, uh, being it's legitimized. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like this mobilization of, of of that side feeling they have so much power is what's what's scary. But yes, but ultimately I agree. Climate change to me is the number one issue. Whenever we look at politicians, they and I always like everything else we can fix, right? But this planet we can't fix is a positive at a certain point. So we're always looking at was this politician stands on climate control. That's our number one thing, because everything else we can still fix, or you can move to a different country, but climate affects the entire world, so. When I first read uh, about uh, um, Elon Musk's uh, lifelong mission Mm -hmm. to uh, eventually survive on Mars, I thought it was pretty crazy. And uh, now I think it's really Number one, it might be realistic. Number two, it's even crazier. And just think about the difficulties. And the, it That's, yeah, so I know this is a way off topic, but yes, I don't, we should, here's what I don't understand. Why are, we, why are we spending billions of dollars to move to Mars when, instead of using that to fix our planet? Invest it back we in. Are, yeah. We already can live on this planet. We know we can live on this planet, you know, and we're, it's the ultimate to plan B. Right, we're almost <laughs> at tipping point. We're not quite there yet. There's still time for us to do something to fix it. But our foc- we're so focused on space, we're forgetting this is an amazing planet. Everything is exactly what we need to survive <laughs> and thrive. Instead, you want to just forget about this planet, go somewhere else new, and terraform it. And what if it doesn't work? Then what? And then how many people can really move there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the other hand, I think it's similar to sending people onto the moon. And uh, it's, uh, it's exciting, it's exploration, yeah. it expands people's uh, viewpoint, 
and uh, uh, it's uh, inspiring. And, it is. I mean, and, uh, I, I understand that part. I, but just, it I still really feel like yeah, it, it shouldn't. Right. It shouldn't. Uh, um, and we should have change plan B. what we should the, always have plan B because yeah. eventually this planet will all die off, like every other planet. But in the meantime, like let's not put our eggs into Mars or a different planet. No, that I, <laughs> yeah. I nobody is. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that might be have to be another topic. We'll have to invite you back <laughs> for that we can explain upon that. Space. <laughs> space. So what do we think? And and for me, even just going back to what you're saying about exploring our own Earth, protecting our own Earth, we don't even know much about our Earth to be honest. Yeah, we don't explore like ten percent of our oceans. How do you know like what else is in there? <laughs> so there's so much more, and we hope that this podcast definitely expands your mind but we should definitely go into that i think that that would be a really cool episode that's the episode this was pretty fun mom thank you for having us to your house to oh yeah person. i'm having so much fun too and with the two generations so we see we have a lot in common mm-hmm. yes Yes. I feel like through this podcast, I've definitely seen like more than anything because we interview people from all walks of life, different mm-hmm. skin colors, different cultural backgrounds. But as different we are, like you said, we're all very similar at the core. We all love our families. We all want a bright future for us, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our family, for for um, our country. Yeah. And like that's the most important thing we have to focus on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well. You girls gave me hope. I'm sorry that I call you girls because you're my girls. (laughs) (laughs) Really, yeah, that's the most encouraging thing. That is hope. Thank you. Thanks, Mom. Thanks. Thank you. And well, thank you, listeners. We hope to have you back on soon for another episode of Lost and Refounds. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We really appreciate your support for our little podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it will mean the world to us if you can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. This will help more people discover our podcast. You can find Lost and Refound podcast on Instagram at lost.and.refound. If you want to email us, you can do so at lostandrefoundpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I hope you stay positive and creative. Bye.